Welcome back to Hawk Thoughts, your favorite podcast of the week. Today we have a very special guest, Mr. Miko, the staff speaker from last year's graduation. And for those of you who aren't familiar with him, he's the math teacher at Stargate High School. One of the math teachers, that is. Good afternoon, Akshat. Good afternoon, Mr. Miko. Um, something we always like to start these interviews off with is asking teachers about what they were like during high school. So let's con- we're going to continue that and ask you about your high school okay. life. Okay. Um, when I was in high school, I was a straight-A student, um, but I didn't really like high school at all. And I wasn't really um, too interested in the subject matter, apart from math. I just, And I think that was just a natural enjoyment of math. But I really, to be quite honest, didn't uh, enjoy language arts, which was called language arts back then, um, at all. And for language, I couldn't stand. I was bored to tears, and uh, it was just horrible. But like, I, was, I knew how to get A's, so I kind of um, was able to figure that out. So I just got straight A's. Um, okay. You're actually the first teacher we've heard of as a straight A student. Yeah. Um, well. but, so what was your plans after high school? Were you planning to become a teacher? I had no, no, absolutely not. Um, my, I remember my calculus class in high school, I was, oh, it was dreadful. And I remember thinking like this, I remember the teacher uh, just lecturing the whole time, just lecturing and not having any connection with the kids mm-hmm. whatsoever. And I was, I was just like, this is so boring. I remember, I was like, I enjoyed doing the math part of it, but the actual uh learning, so-called learning. I was like, this is just, sitting in the classroom was just uh, horrific. And I remember, I still, to this day, have the memory of sitting in uh, my calculus class thinking, God, what a horrible profession to be a math teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that job would just really suck. (laughs) Like, I would never want to, never want to do that. And then at the back of my mind, there was this other little voice or, you know, part that said, but... If I were a math teacher, I would make it fun. And mm-hmm. so um, I hope that uh, my math classes are enjoyable for students. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm one of the students who's taken your classes. And I mean, that was one of the most fun years for yeah, me. Good. Um, I mean, I know why I found it fun, but yeah. maybe you could tell us like how you try and in, involve well, students. And my opinion, uh, something that I do or don't do is I don't force people to do anything. So as you know, I did not force you to do any homework. And I, I felt like as a teenager, um, I felt like I could make my own decisions. And for the most part, those were good decisions. And uh, at times, like when adults would try to make decisions for me, I felt like they interfered with my either my learning or my growing process at that age. So uh, I really feel like I I try not to force anybody at any age to to do anything. Now, of course, when you're younger, you need special guidance, so not because you just don't, aren't aware um, and can, you know, get in, you know, get harmed, get, get into trouble, or get get hurt as a very young person. But I think at the teenage, especially the high school, I love teaching high school, especially the older high school students. I th- I feel like um, they are. They have enough awareness to know what are good decisions and what are bad decisions. And in terms of homework, then if you want to do well and score a five on the, on the BC test and get scholarship money, and if that's what you want to do, then I'm going to provide you with everything that you can do that. 
And if you don't want to do that, I'm still providing you with everything, but um, you're just not making the choice to do that. So I, I take the attitude of it takes two wings to fly. One wing is the right instruction, which I try to provide, and the other wing is the right effort. So if you have right uh, effort but the wrong instruction, you're never going to get off the ground. And similarly, if you have the right instruction but you don't put any effort in, you're not going to get on the ground. Hmm. I'll get off the ground. But if you have both, then you can fly, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's sort of like a philosophy where you give them everything they need to yep. be successful, but yep. you don't force them. No, I do not yeah. force them. It's like I provide that support for them to do what to do to make their choice and they can fly or stay on the ground. And what's uh, been student response to that? For instance, uh, like I love this way yeah. of teaching uh, all throughout ninth grade. That was like one of my favorite classes for that reason, but I also assume there are some people who oh, and, and don't. Unfortunately, as the years are going on, I'm seeing that more and more students um, are not taking the choice to fly. So mm -hmm. in your class was special because every, most everybody's just like, it worked for them. Everybody's like, I want to do well on that, and the, most of the class got fives, on the, and it was that was really great, but it was all because there was that self-motivation, self-responsibility. Um, as a teacher, I've been teaching for almost 20 years now, and when I was first teaching, there were no such things as cell phones <laughs> like they have now. And as that whole technology has advanced, and now every single person has a cell phone, um, what's really been really interesting to me is to see how uh, not only students, but people of all ages, are, their attention just gets hooked into the cell phone. And it's, and it's like an addiction. I, I mean, I used to teach students that were, to be honest, that were, you know, on really bad drugs, like they were addicted mm -hmm. to really bad drugs. And there's not really that so much happening here. But I see students that are addicted to cell phones, and they just cannot stop looking at their cell phone. And that has been the biggest interference um, with their learning process, and that seems to be happening more and more as time goes on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of research being done, like cell phone addiction, comparing it to drugs. Yeah. Um, and something fascinating I found with cell phones is, is what you were saying. Um, people say that, the, or the research that I've read says that once you get a ping on your phone and you pick up to look at it, you don't just lose the focus um, of just looking at it, but you lose an additional 30 seconds. Yeah, there's a lot of studies out there, and um, I think it's true just seeing it firsthand. And, like, how many times do you think a kid in your class picks up their cell phone? <laughs> like, if we think about how much time is being lost. Well, I've had to. I've, in certain classes this year, I've had to, ha like, strictly enforce the cell phone policy of, like, no cell phones. And then still, um, even in the midst of that, Students will pick up their cell phones because they get a text, and a lot of times they'll say, oh, it's for, you know, for my parents, whatever it could be from anybody, but they still have it on. Even though that they put their phone away in their backpack, it's still on. Um, and there's just that feeling, that need to, um, to look at the cell phone or to connect to another human being. I'm not sure how, what the, the underlying psychology of that is, but kind of this, there's this almost like a neediness to be recognized, I think. And if somebody, I, you know, I, I personally feel like if somebody develops a sense of self-confidence and self-worth, which is very hard to do in the, <laughs> at the teenage years, admittedly, but if you can develop that in a, a way, then 
you're not necessarily dependent on other people or other things. Other people and other things don't make you happy. You're, you can find that within yourself. And a lot of that can come from actually the like meditation and yoga and the qigong, those type of internal arts uh, can help develop that in a person. But um, for the most part, those type of students are few and far, far between in the high school area. I mean, something you said there is fascinating to me. It's it was like what I would call this overarching idea of like external pleasures versus yeah. internal peace, right. and it's basically the idea that nothing outside of oneself right. can bring them happiness. Right. It has to come from within. Absolutely. Um, There's um, so I was kind of weird in high school, and I, like I said in the English classes, I I really didn't like the readings, and so I'd read on my own outside of. Um, class and the things that I was reading, I was reading, um, and this was back in the 70s, so I was reading uh, philosophy books that were available at that time, a lot in uh, Hindu and Buddhist philosophy and Taoist philosophy, and I actually took a comparative religions course in high school, which really opened up my eyes and my mind and my thoughts towards seeing things from different points of view and different, whether cultures or belief systems, whatever, but the, by the the main thing is is that the actual practice, not so much a philosophy, a way of thinking, but of the practice of bringing your attention inside your body. So this is the ancient yoga practice, and uh, I was really interested in uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And the Yoga Sutras starting out so saying that yoga, it's a uh, Yoga Naroda Chitta Vritta. Yoga is the sensation, the cessation of thoughts. So, or the you know the fluctuations of the mind. Yoga is the, is stopping the fluctuations of the mind. So when you're able to do that by bringing the attention into the body, which that is with the pratyahara and the asana of sitting comfortably. Um, later, all the Hatha Yoga had all these different asanas, but that came like thousands of years later. But the original is just sitting comfortably, bringing your attention into your body, and then the uh, pranayama or pranayama of being aware of the breathing, breathing into your entire body, and really feeling your body being nourished by the atmosphere and the oxygen and the energies that are being uh, inhaled into your body. and what happens is that the mind just naturally calms. And when the mind naturally calms, you actually have this awareness. It's not something that you think about, but you have this awareness of just clarity. You, there's a clarity, and there's actually this incredible joy that appears. It's kind of hiding <laughs> behind <laughs> the thoughts. So if you can, if the, when the thoughts stop, or you can just your attention goes behind the thoughts into the breath and the body, um, this incredible joy just naturally appears. And it might, it's, when I was in high school, I thought I had the analogy of an onion. I felt like we're just onions, and there's layers and layers. And, and personally, I had to go through all these layers of pain. It was like, I'd stop there and just feel like all this wasn't, wasn't really very joyful. But just keep practicing and going deeper and deeper, like playing a musical instrument. At first, you might mess up the melodies, but you keep practicing, you're going to get it. Uh, the same way with yoga. And all of a sudden, it's like hiding behind 
everything and within everything and without everything is just this beauty, this natural, like Plato said, the truth and the beauty, the one is just everything is beautiful and everything is joyful. And if you can find, I think that is the most important thing to learn. <laughs> More important than calculus in my mind. But if you can do that, then you don't need anything to make you happy because it's there all the time. It's, mm-hmm. So, oh, Okay, yeah, that's really cool. Um, you've never been taught it in school, but this is, uh, that actually reminds me of a, of a parable I read. So uh, there's this book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, who touches and speaks in quite depth yeah. about the things you were talking about. And at the start, he starts with this parable where he walks into this kingdom area and there's a beggar in the village uh, near the kingdom. And the beggar uh, asks the man, um, can you give me something? And then the man says, I don't have anything to give you, but I do have a piece of advice. And the beggar was sitting on this box. And so he tells him, open the box. Um, and the beggar had never opened it for 20, 30 years. So then he finally opens it, and inside it's just a, ch- a chest full of gold coins. And basically the idea was nobody can give you happiness, but it's something that you can find in yourself. Right. Um, right. I completely agree with that. So it's, it's sort of incredible that you, you've, you were reading all this and figuring this out on your own in high school? or I started in high school. In high school, I, I would have to say I was, you know, I went through a period of depression in high school. Um, just, you, you know, your body goes through changes, other hormonal changes and, you know, relationships or failed relationships or whatever. It's like all part of growing up. It's all part of life. And, you know, it's definitely a bumpy road in high school and, um, I had my bumps, but I think throughout everything, I just became more and more interested Mm -hmm. in that. And then uh, I met a meditation teacher in my early 20s after high school who really helped. And that was was really huge. And then since that time, I've studied with all sorts of... um, all sorts of great yogis of various traditions. So rather than being like tied down to any one tradition, mm-hmm. I've studied with, with uh, you know, Hindu yogis and uh, Taoist adepts and uh, Buddhist lamas and even um, Christian monks and uh, Sufi, like the dervishes. I've studied with some of those. So both in the East and the West. And what I've looked at, what I've been interested in looking at is not so much the outer form, right? Not all the, the dogma and the doctrines, but the inner practices. Mm-hmm. And there's something similar in all of them. They may have different particularities of it, but the principles are sometimes identical throughout all the different traditions, the esoteric traditions of the East or the West. And that's what I was interested in high school. That was, and I think I was interested in that before that. But in high school, I was, I was, you would go to the library. We didn't have the internet back then, of course, but we'd go to the library and whatever meager amount of books were available, I would read them. And, and that was kind of like the start of that journey. Oh, okay. So, I mean, a couple of th- a couple of questions for you with that. Um, so, you mentioned uh, a rough period during high school. Mm-hmm. Now, I think there are a lot of people today that can relate with that, either at Stargate or at different yeah. schools, especially with social media and all these other pressures. Right, right. Um, so, what would what would be your advice to them? And then also, you were saying that there's one or a couple pieces that are unified in all of these different traditions yeah. and yogis that you saw. Right. 
what do you think is the largest message that you learned from all of them that you try and apply to your own life? Okay, today? so I'll start with the second and then go to the first. So when I was talking about that beauty and that joy mm-hmm. that's underlying everything, that beauty and joy also includes just this feeling of loving kindness. It's just, it permeates space. And I really, I really feel uh, both the space that's just between you and me and the space that's inside of both of us and the, the table and all the physical matter, that is permeated with loving kindness. I am convinced of that, not from reading about it, but from directly experiencing it through the different practices. And ideally, to have that be 24-7. That's mm-hmm. like my yeah. goal, to experience that, experience that in dreams, experiencing that in deep sleep, experiencing that. So that is common, and it may have different words and different uh, languages, but that is common throughout all the different traditions. And so that's kind of, to be honest, like the goal of my life is to Tap Lift, into that. Yeah, tap into that continuously. So while I am teaching, I'm like part of my attention is you know <laughs> doing some theorem or something on the board or or showing how to uh, solve a math equation. But the other is tapping into that. And if I notice, like if I tap into that, then that naturally becomes apparent sometimes to other people, and uh, depending on how aware they are. And I've had students come up to me. Sometimes and they they've said it's like what is going on? What is there's something different about your class? It's like what's going on? And so anyway, that's what I that's what I I try to just live that way and just and without even speaking. I mean, I don't talk to the kids like this, like we're doing, you know. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's, that's yeah, that's like, like what's going on behind the scenes. I'll say. So yeah. that's really fascinating yeah. to me because I mean I've read a lot of these and um, tried to do my own research into it, and it's. Like this underlying principle that everything is connected in some way with that loving kindness and being able to tap into that is being like fully present in the moment. Um, and that's like the ultimate goal. That's the ideal, yes. And I think like a lot of people are peripherally aware of it. Um, so for instance, when people go skiing, they're forced in the moment. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, like whether even a relationship and the yeah. infatuation. A lot of times like dangerous yeah. things. Like you, will, you, will, you have no choice to be present. Mm-hmm. And when you're present, that appears. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like before, right? I went to school. I, I, uh, after high school, uh, you know, I, I became an electrician a number of years later. And the reason why I became an electrician was because that was the most dangerous. I was a handyman beforehand, and the electrician was the most dangerous tradesman, uh, you know, trade that you could get involved in because you could literally die if you <laughs> and so I was like really attracted to that because that forced me to be present and mm-hmm. so I had I was a kind of a wild youth and like I have a wild mind goes all over like the monkey mind just like we all have um, and so that I put my I used to put myself into situations that would force me to be present now being older I'm a little more mellow and so I don't have to force myself but I can force myself on the sitting cushion um, that's called discipline and uh move towards that stillness and that loving kindness inside. But as you said, it's like relationships, anything that's kind of has that element of danger in it has that opportunity. It doesn't make you do that, but it has the opportunity if you're, if you are intending 
to be more aware and more present, then those are great opportunities. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I think that danger, the reason it does it is it, it forces our mind to really put all its attention in what's mm-hmm. happening. If something goes wrong, we could die. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a motivator absolutely. for the mind. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's, so that's like, I mean, that's yeah. yoga. It's like yeah. you're bringing your attention, you're unifying your attention um, within yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting kind of getting back to the cell phones, it's like everything is dispersed now, and like every little text message or something that comes up. So our attention isn't really unified within ourselves. So I mean, put away your cell phones and live a life of danger. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's part of what I love about yoga and meditation. It's like it evokes that discipline in daily life to be yeah. mindful, so that we don't have to engage in like all constantly dangerous activities, absolutely. even in our day to day lives. Yeah, we can we can accept yeah. that, but. Um, but so back to um, your high school years, like yeah. what advice would you give to people dealing with perhaps some of the same struggles? Yeah, you did? so there was a period in my life in high school that, uh, you know, a relationship that kind of d- didn't go the way that I <laughs> wanted it to go. And so I was like, I got really, really, really depressed. Um, I mean, to the point of like, why even go on anymore? You know, it's like really. De- and then one day there was this voice in the you know, in my mind that just said, you don't know what's around the next corner. And hmm. so I, for me, it was like, well, I can't give up now because I don't know what's around the next corner. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it can't get any worse than this. <laughs> so uh. let's, let's just keep going and find out. So I would say it's like on those times where you get really down and depressed, of finding some way healthy to... Keep moving on, right? To keep going on, and the, in my mind, the healthiest way is learning some type of, um, you know, inner art or inner discipline. The inner arts being yoga and meditation and and uh, qigong, any of those where you're bringing your attention inside and not just getting the monkey mind going every place or you know whether it's depressed or whatever. Um, not being attached to that, of being able to bring the attention into the body, being really grounded in the body, and that being grounded in the body helps release that that grasp of like whatever's happening in the mind stream. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's very deep and but like I, I completely agree with that. Um, try and find like find something to ground yourself and then mm-hmm. then move on. But yeah, I think that's great advice. Yeah. Um, so okay, we don't have too much time left, so I'd like to um, I'd like to talk about a little bit about your teaching career. So yes. you were an electrician. You're right. Um, I mean, from being in your classes and hearing your stories, there were a number of careers after that. Yeah, I've done a lot of bit of a little bit of a lot of things. Um, <laughs> and then, so when did you begin teaching, and and how has that continued on to today? Oh, so my wife and I moved to New Mexico in 2001, and I was an electrician. I worked at the Intel factory out in, in Rio Rancho, right outside of Albuquerque. And um, I don't know what what prompted, but I decided at that point to be, become a math teacher. And so I just started applying places in New Mexico. New Mexico, um, they're edu- they needed teachers at that time. And so I worked at, I got my first job at a private school. It was a school for with kids that were diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, or Asperger's autism. So you had to have some type of diagnosis in order 
to go to that school, and it was um, a residential program. So parents, and this was in the mountains of Pecos, New Mexico, outside of Pecos, New Mexico. And so parents would drop off their kids for nine months, abandon them in the mountains, and then come pick them up for the summertime. Oh. And what I realized that the, the, <laughs> I remember the very first day, I was like, very first day of teaching. Mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't know what to expect. And then I realized, this is my tribe. It's like <laughs> there were, these kids were no different than the kids that I went to high school with. There was like no different. But they had diagnoses, and then they had all sorts of drugs that were prescribed to them by doctors for you know but they were they were no different and um, the one thing I really noticed was that the common denominator of all the kids was that they basically lacked love at home and there's a parent they were just like out of control teenagers so the parents were wealthy and put them in this residential program and didn't have to deal with their kids for eight ten months and then would see them in the summertime and that was the thing was for me teaching, was like an act of love rather than um, any more more so than anything else. So, okay, absolutely, and I can see that's continued on to today Hopefully. with all your classes. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Mr. Miko, absolutely. for um, for speaking with me and being a part of Oc Thoughts. Um, to our listeners, um, please uh, uh, thank you for tuning in every week, and please continue doing so. Uh, you can follow us at ochthoughts.net and on Instagram at ochthoughts.podcast. Thank you all. Bye.